Church, would you please give a, a warm, warm Belmont welcome to Pastor Todd Lucas. So, so good to be in the house this morning. And um, yeah, thank you, Pastor Joey. The feeling is mutual when it comes to our friendship, our love for each other, our love for Chicago, our love for the Bears. Unfortunately, today is Super Bowl Sunday, which is a national holiday for Chicago Bear players. They, we have it off every year. You know. I don't know. Are we going to have church if the Bears go to the Super Bowl? I think it's going to be full of Bears fans because we're going to be here praying, asking. <laughs> Praise God. Well, so, so blessed to be here. My wife, Chandra, is right here on the front row. And um, I'm a blessed man because I'm married to her and we have three beautiful boys. We got a picture that we can put up here. Um, I'm not sure if the, I think the slides came through. Um, there it is. Yeah, yeah. And so... That's our team. Yes, she is indeed a boy mom. And so that's um, our, our tallest and our oldest is Ethan. He's eight. And then our middle child, Cameron, is five. And we were talking earlier today, he's starting to middle child. Yes. And our youngest is the one that's mean mugging us right now. That's Hudson, and he is, uh, he's about to be two coming up in May, but she's a boy mom. I'm a blessed man, and we are a blessed family. Living on mission, as Pastor Joey mentioned, we are Chi Alpha missionaries. We have a phenomenal team. In fact, we have some team members that are part of the church here as well. Um, reaching out across the city's um, universities um, with the gospel of, of Jesus, and um, we don't have time this morning, but the Lord is doing some really phenomenal things um, on all of our campuses that we're primarily on, which are Northwestern, Loyola, Columbia College, and UIC, with students from other campuses that are involved as well. But those are the main campuses where our fingerprints are and the footprints of our, our missional activity is. And so, um, so, yeah, thank you guys for supporting us, by the way. Your giving helps us to do the work that God has called us to do. I'm here as a missionary, but I am a product, a fruit of the ministry that we do. I gave my heart to the Lord as a freshman. At the end of my freshman year um, at Southern Illinois University, it was through the prayers and the intervention of the Chi Alpha missionaries on campus. And so just know that your giving is making a phenomenal, phenomenal impact. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Um, <clears throat> hey, they, look, we've been so blessed by the weather over the past week. I'm like... You know, anybody, if you've been in Chicago for less than two years, appreciate this, okay? Appreciate this. But also brace yourself, okay? We know better. You know, we Chicagoans know better, right? But, you know, this is like the, the dog days of winter, if you will. And it's, they say sometimes it's a really good idea to, when you're in a difficult situation, to close your eyes and imagine that you're somewhere else. And I was thinking as an offering to Belmont Assembly of God on this Sunday morning, it would be good if we just did that exercise here. And we closed our eyes for those who want to like get away for a moment and imagine that you are over in Paris, France. Okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so let's just try this. Just give me 30 seconds, okay? If you feel, if you trust me, okay, close your eyes for a moment and imagine you've disembarked the plane, you've gotten off and you're there and you are all of a sudden standing in front of the Eiffel Tower, right? 70 degree weather right now, sunny, 
beautiful, people from all over the world, but the Eiffel Tower is reserved just for you and your family right now, okay? And you get from the Eiffel Tower, you go from there, and then you're sailing down the, the Sin River, the romantic, beautiful, calm waters of Sin River at sunset. Perfect, perfect time. And you leave there, and then you go down the Champs-Elysees, all right, holding hands, enjoying yourself. The kids aren't screaming and crying. Everything is just beautiful, pristine, perfect. Then you go to the Louvre, the museum, and you're standing right in front of the Mona Lisa, and you can't leave town without stopping at Crepe Avenue because you get a chance to have the most delicious crepe ever. In fact, you are having such a good time, you break out into speaking French. You don't know the language, but you know it now. <laughs> and you go open your eyes now. You're in Chicago. It's the winter. But I just wanted to bless you with that very awkward moment. Sometimes we have to get away, okay? And so we'll circle back to that later perhaps. But for now, um, let's, let's go into the scriptures, the real deal, okay? How many of you guys have actually been to Paris before? Anybody here? Okay. Well, you're welcome. I just took you there. I just took you there. That's my, that's my blessing. That's my offering to you guys. Hey, we're going to... Study the book of Hebrews a little bit. A little background on the book of Hebrews. Um, it was written around 65 AD, and it was written to, um, guess what? The Hebrews. And, and it was written because they were under intense persecution, most likely in Rome, under King Nero, who was uh, persecuting Christians because he himself had had a conversion to Judaism, and he was a big champion of the old types of ceremonies and rites of passages and all of those traditions that came with Judaism. And in that time, for this individual, it wasn't a matter of just religious kind of conversion. It meant that Christianity needed to be put under his thumb. And so historically, he was one of the most intense persecutors of Christianity. And these readers, this audience that the writer is writing to, um, they are the ones catching the brunt of that. So they're under a lot of pressure. So much pressure that these Jewish believers are contemplating returning to Judaism. Because they're like, this is getting too hot. This is too challenging, this is too difficult. In fact, if you read the book of Hebrews, it also paints the picture of this particular audience that the author is writing to as a somewhat immature um, audience as well. In fact, the writer, if you read through it, he actually, or she actually at one point writes and says that you ought to be teaching others by now. You should be further along in your walk by now. And let's talk a little bit briefly about the author the author, we don't know who it is. We know that God wrote it, but we don't know the vessel that he used to write it. What we do know is that this person was an intellectual. If you read the book of Hebrews, it's actually a, a literary masterpiece, and this is by non-Christians, just scholars who've studied, who study literature. They're like, the way this is written, the oratory sort of flex that you see here and there, this person was not just an intellectual, but a passionate intellectual. They weren't just heady. They weren't that professor that you had that just gives you the facts and the truth with no compassion. This person was a compassionate, loving intellectual. But it was also someone who was a Hellenistic Jew, meaning that 
They themselves were very familiar with the Jewish traditions, but were very familiar and very much so in the know of Greek culture. And so they were able to play both sides, if you will, and very knowledgeable and, um, and, and very versatile in their ability to share the truths of God to those who came out of the, the Jewish faith. And so that kind of brings us to our passage we're going to look at here in a moment. We're going to look at chapter 8, just a few verses. But understand, up to this point, the writer has been emphasizing a few different things about Jesus. You read the book of Hebrews, it has a lot to say about Old Testament ceremonies and how that relates to the new covenant, etc. We'll talk a little bit about that today. But the writer is actually just making this point. Jesus is a big deal. He's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than Joshua. He, he's come in the order of Melchizedek, the great, great, great high priest. And he is the only way to truly, truly know God. And so he goes out of his way to paint that picture just so crystal clear. The book itself, if you read through it in one sitting, which I think is a great exercise, take time one day to just read any book of the Bible in its entirety. And what you would notice is this book is actually written as a sermon. It's actually written in sermonic form. And at the end, I find it funny, it's like 13 or 14 chapters, and at the end, the writer says, <laughs> he says, thanks for bearing with me in my brief exhortation. Come on, right? And so this entire book, up to this point, he's been talking about all these different things about, about Jesus and about our faith. And now we find ourselves in chapter eight and listen to what he says. I did all of that to like kind of bring us to this verse in verse one. And this is what it says. You can look at the screen or you can look in your Bibles. Chapter eight, verses one through six. The writer says, now the main point of what we are saying is this. Let me pause right here as a preacher. I love that he took seven chapters of intro. Now here's the main point. The main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by our Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. Pause. He wouldn't be a priest because he was not in the line of the Levites in that tribe. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. He's like, it doesn't make sense in the natural. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by Everybody say the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry of Jesus, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this new covenant. We thank you, Lord, for your word that is 
here to remind us of all of your promises, God, that are yes and amen in Christ. And I pray this morning that you would edify us through your word. May you silence my feeble lips, Lord, and may you speak a word that's going to make an eternal impact on the lives of those who are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so the title of this message this morning is simply Beyond the Veil. We want to go beyond the veil. And there was a lot there in what I just unpacked about the context of the book of Hebrews itself. And even in these six verses, there was some language there. Sometimes you're reading the book of Hebrews and you're like, man, I need a thesaurus, I need a Bible dictionary, I need, a, I need five commentaries, I need a class on Old Testament theology, etc. But verse six, these first six verses could probably even have some of you a little stumped right now, like, man, what is this person getting at? Well, let me just give you a, a, a summary of the three main things the writer is tackling to help us understand what I believe the Lord wants us to receive this morning. And it's these three things. The priest, the sanctuary, and the covenant. That's essentially what the, the summary of the, the three main things that the writer is covering in these six verses. And we want to talk a little bit, and this message is about the role, their roles, their symbolisms, and their fulfillment in Christ. Again, the priest, the sanctuary, and the covenant. And I can break it down to you like this. The priest would discharge the duties in the sanctuary. That's their connection right there, okay? The priests would discharge duties in the sanctuary as part of satisfying their responsibility as people of the covenant. Now, let me say something about the covenant, right? We, we understand as Christians and, and those who may not be Christian, but you would think of a covenant as something that is a religious term. That's how we understand it now. But understand that back then, this was not primarily and originally um, a religious term. It was something that was very well known and understood in society. And what it was, it was an agreement. It was an agreement between two parties, but they were not equal parties. One was the superior and one was the inferior subservient party. And what they would do is come into an agreement and say, hey, let's go ahead and make a deal. All right, I'm going to do as the inferior party. Let's say Pastor Joey is the one I'm making a covenant with. He's the superior party. Hey, I'm going to do what you ask me to do. All right, I'm going to essentially obey the terms that we agreed to if you would give me certain rights, privileges, and protections. And it will only stay binding if the younger party or the more inferior party kept their part of the bargain. And so that's why in this case, we had Jehovah that entered into a covenant with the people of Israel. He says, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people and you're going to obey me. And you're going to be separate from the other nations around you as a witness to the nations all around the world of who I am. It's going to start with you, but it's not going to stay with you. I'm setting the world up for a blessing, but I'm going to start with you. And that's what the old covenant was about. And this was ratified on Mount Sinai by Moses um, with the Ten Commandments and the whole deal, right? And so the, the, the priest, again, would discharge duties in the sanctuary as part of satisfying 
his responsibility as a person of the covenant, particularly making amends for when the people did not uphold their part of the covenant. Because how many know if you're vaguely familiar, not just with Old Testament theology and happenings, but if you're just familiar with human nature, we don't always uphold our part of the covenant. And that's why the priest was there to say, I'm going to go to God on behalf of the people, and I'm going to go to the people on behalf of God. Now, I'm going to jump to the chase here, cut to the chase, and just say this right now. As New Testament believers, we are all part of that priesthood, right? There's the priesthood of every believer that we can tap into, and we can go to God on behalf of Chicago, and we can go to Chicago on behalf of God. Can I get an amen? That's the beauty of the setup here, but all these things right here were foreshadows of what God was going to bring. Now, let's, the main thing I want to talk about is the intersection of those three, and that's the sanctuary. The sanctuary was understood to be where God made his abode. That's where God dwelt, and that's what the people of Israel understood. And there were two sanctuaries, if you will. The first one happened in the wilderness. They left Egypt. They're going about their business. And God says, I'm, I need, we're going to, Moses said, let's build a sanctuary for God. He gave them the pattern that they should make it in, the whole deal. And later, after they came out of the wilderness, they got into the promised land, and, and um, David was like, wait, why do I have this beautiful house, but God doesn't have anywhere to dwell? Let's make a temple. And it was built in Jerusalem, and that was the temple, right? But the one that Moses and the people of Israel had in the wilderness, it was portable, Okay, and I'm going to break that down for you. This is all foundational, right? This is all just laying a a foundation for a few points I want to share, and then we'll be about our business. But it's important that we understand what was happening, right? So the sanctuary that the writer of Hebrews is referring to in chapter 8 is this portable sanctuary, the mosaic sanctuary. And so here are some basic components of this sanctuary or It was called the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, okay? It was the wilderness tent. It was divided into three separate sections. And we got something to put up on the screen. And the three sections were, actually it was two sections, um, two parts made up totally of three sections. There was the outer court, which was basically a courtyard. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. And then there was the inner court which was the holy place and the holy of holies. The holy place, only the priests could go in there, right? And so you had to be born into the line of the Levites to be a priest. And only they can go in to the holy place. And what they would do, they would go into the holy place, and what they would essentially do is make sure it stayed tidy, Make sure that the showbread was there. Make sure that the bread was fresh. They replaced that. Make sure that the incense was burning and make sure that the lamps were lit. And any priest could do that. So how did they choose who would go in? There's 20 of us. Who's going to go in? They would cast lots. And whoever the lot fell on, or think of it as like shooting dice. Come on, I think Chicagoans will understand that one better. Okay, think of it as shooting dice. Man, and you hit that number, boom, it's on you. Okay, took me back to Cabrini Green a little bit there. And they would, and then it's like, okay, I'm going again. And they would do this daily. And weekly, and they would just make sure that it was honorable that they took care of this sanctuary. Amen. I'm sure I'm looking around. This sanctuary is clean because somebody's working. Shout out to those who put in the work. Amen. Praise the Lord, right? 
And so that was kind of their job to keep it honorable and clean. And then there was the Holy of Holies. And they would step beyond the veil and go into the Holy of Holies. Not everybody can do that, though. That was only for the high priest. Only the high priest. And that high priest can only go in once a year. One time a year. And it was a very special day that observant, even non-observant Jews till this day celebrate. It's called Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And they would go in and make an amends. And this is what the priest would go in and do, the high priest. The high priest would go in and would sprinkle blood on the altar and sprinkle, sprinkle blood and, and do this. And he would wear all white. He had to have a, a different style of clothing, the whole deal. But he'd go in, he'd sprinkle blood, and he would do that for him and his family. Because he's like, I need cleansing too. I need repentance. I, I, need, I need to make penance for my sin as well. And so he would go in and do his thing, and then he would come back out. And he would come back out. And check this out. This is, this is the, the entirety of the, the tabernacle, right? And so on the outside, that, that open space, is the courtyard. Any people, all of us can go into that. And you go in, and you would, you would go in. That's where you would offer... Your, your bulls and your goats and things like that as a, just as an offering. You also give other things as an offering to say, I'm sorry for my sins. There were also cleansing rites to, before you approach God, make sure that you were good. And the priest would take your things and take your bulls and, and offer them as a sacrifice before they went into that part that has the covering. Inside of that part, that part right there is the inner court. Inside there is the holy place and the holy of holies. Something very important before we move on. That's about 450 feet long all the way around, okay? And the, I think that it's about, about 12 to 15 feet high, right? And if you see, if you notice right here, by the way, this was all white, but this was like multiple colors right here. This is just 30 feet, 30 feet. You couldn't climb over it to get in. You, if you were up here, there were no shortcuts. GPS told everybody the same thing. Go all the way around and come here because this is the only place you can go in. See, when Jesus was telling them, he says, I am, I am the gate. You must go through me. He was painting an image to them that was very reminiscent of, oh, you have to go through here to get into the presence of God. And they understood that. And so what he was saying is, you got to come to me on my terms. And God was already setting them up. That's why, he's, that's why the writer of Hebrews says that he told Moses, make sure you do it exactly as I say. Because I'm setting the world up for something that is awesome. Are you guys with me? So the priest, what he would do is, after he paid for his own sins, so to speak, he stepped back out, and the people out there waiting, and they had a goat. And they would be standing there with the goat. He would come out into like the open space. And you know what they would do with that goat? They would just let the goat stand there and the priest would put his hand on the goat's head. And he would begin to say, okay, thievery, stealing, mm. adultery, okay, lying, hmm, murder. And he would name all the sins of the people while his hand is on the goat's head, symbolically placing all the sins onto that goat. And the goat had a name, Azazel. And what they would do with that goat, they wouldn't kill it. A priest would take this goat out 
far, far, far away into the wilderness. And you know what they would do with the goat? They'd release it. And they'd go about their business, symbolically saying that all the sins have been forgotten and gone out into the wilderness. Now, we have forgotten, symbolically. Azazel was a scapegoat. And that's where we get the, the term that we use, scapegoat, from that. Straight from the scriptures, right? And they forgot about their sins until they committed the next one. And they had to wait another year for Yom Kippur to come around. And it says that these priests would fatigue themselves day in and day out, year in and year out. And it says their conscience would never, ever, ever be cleansed because it was a shadow. Everybody say it was a shadow. shadow. I want to pause right here and remind us of that that silly exercise that we did earlier when we went to Paris. You guys enjoy going to Paris with me? Anybody? Thank you, Joey. That's my friend. He's like, that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I actually have been there before once myself, and um, my wife and I, we joke that, hey, you know, we got married, and then we decided to move to Paris for about eight days. We didn't like it, so we came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a honeymoon, folks. That's all it was. And so I got a picture here I want to show you guys. And so this is Chandra and I. This is us standing in front of the Eiffel Tower, right? And what if I were to tell you, and let's say Chandra and I, we were talking. We're like, hey, you know, what are we going to do for our honeymoon? Let's go to Paris. And she's like, yay. I'm like, let's just sit here, close our eyes right now, and let's go. And she would have, and she, we were engaged at that point. She would have been like, okay, baby, let me do this. I'm going to take this off and leave this right there. Right? She's like, are you nuts, right? And so as silly as that sounds, the writer of Hebrews was telling them, that for you to want to go back to this old way of living, to the old covenant, the old sanctuary, the old priesthood, is like us saying, instead of actually experiencing the real thing in Paris, let's just sit here and meditate on it. Come on. That's, good. That's a shadow. Yeah. This was a shadow. It says that Jesus was as superior to Moses as the sanctuary and the covenant that he was mediating was superior to that old thing. And that's what we can tap into, saints. God has taken us beyond the veil. It was a shadow. It was a foreshadowing because God was saying, I'm setting you up to understand that we must come to Christ on his terms. I'm setting you up to understand that sacrifices, they don't need to take place daily, weekly, yearly, but once in for all. And that's what Jesus did. I'm letting you know that Jesus was the ultimate scapegoat. Because this once and for all sacrifice that because of this, we have access through the veil. Everybody say through the veil. Into the holy of holies. It's a beautiful thing. How do you know we have access through the veil? I want you to take a look at Mark chapter 15. And look at what happened in verses 37 and 38. It says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last on the cross. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There's a lot that happened when he died on the cross. It says that some people actually came back from the grave. I mean, it was a crazy worldwide phenomenon that just taken place for all of eternity. But I think this is undersold a little bit. It says that 
that the curtain in the temple was torn. Let me tell you, this curtain is not just any curtain. It's not the kind of curtains that you might get from Crate and Barrel, right? These curtains were about 60 feet wide, 30 feet high, four inches thick. And it says that it was torn. Since I couldn't go to Israel into any museums and find a curtain that they had, I got this. Okay? You gotta do what you gotta do. I'm gonna ask my brother right here to come and help me out. I wanna paint the picture here. And there we go. Yeah, you want that you hold that end right there. It ripped a little bit. That's okay. Just 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 go with us. We'll hold it both ends. Just hold it from the top, but cut it from the bottom and the top. All right, here we go. So it says this thing was ripped. This thing was torn. I'm gonna ask if my sister right there, if you can come and yeah, yeah. That's like this folks like this is why I don't sit in the front seat. You know, these guest speakers. Yeah. You know. Come on, give it up for our sister as she comes. And so it's going to be really, it's really easy, okay? All we need you to do is to tear this in half, okay? But not from the bottom, but from the top, okay? Okay, once you lift it up as high as you can, okay? Once you step up here once for us, too, yeah? Come on, you got this. Can you, no? You're not even going to give it a shot? That's what she said, how? Come on, come on, give it up for our sister one more time. See, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's very, and it's just having some fun here, but here's, here's what it is. It says, if we go back to that scripture, it says that it was torn from top to bottom. And what he was saying is this. He was letting us know that man can try to tear it from the bottom to the top. But when you talk about 30 feet high, we're talking three stories high, right? It's letting us know that this veil being ripped is not something that's man-made. It's something that God is doing. Amen. That only God can tear this thing from the top to the bottom. And it's important. Thank you, bro. If you don't mind just taking that with you. Shout out. Come on, give it up for my brother right there. It's a heavenly sanctuary that we've been invited into. There's no caste system. It doesn't matter what your economic background is. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. It doesn't matter how tall or how short you are. It doesn't matter of any of that pedigree. It doesn't matter. Only faith in Jesus. And now you can go beyond the veil and have this relationship with the Lord. So what is offered when we go beyond the veil? Let me give you a few things real quick. Let's take a look at the next five verses. And we're going to read this, and this is something we've heard before, but we got to be reminded of this. And we're going to check out verse 7 through 12. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It would not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. They didn't keep up their part. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Next slide. This is the covenant I'm going to establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'm going to put my laws in their minds. I'm going to write them on their hearts. I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. 
And here's, here's the other one. That, this is one of my favorites. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Can I get a hallelujah? Look. And if I have somebody come up. Okay, thank you, Jason. Um, I like that Monday night football tune you had going on. <laughs> he's given us a new nature, folks. He's given us personal knowledge and experience. And he's allowed our sins to be forgiven and forgotten. Here's the good news. New nature. He's put his laws in our heart. You ever have good intentions to do what is right, but you feel like you lack the moral fortitude to actually do it? That's why Jesus came. That's what this whole veil being torn means for us. That's the implication, guys. The implication is, is you don't have to conjure it up. You don't have to make it happen. You need to obey and trust and surrender to what God is already doing in your life and what he wants to do through your life by his spirit. His Holy Spirit gives us joy when we worship. His Holy Spirit brings the word of God alive when we are reading. His Holy Spirit gives us joy in obeying what we read. This, this is the implication of him putting his law into our hearts. When I gave my heart to the Lord as a freshman on the college campus, I'm like, oh, snap. I don't know if I can do this, but I know God has changed me on the inside, and I'm going to trust him. And I went through a season where I was obsessed as a young college student over what I could no longer do. As a Christian, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't listen to this. I can't go there. And God says, you got it all wrong. You, you're missing out on what you get to do. You're, you're, you're missing out on, that, that was a shadow of what life, this is real life right here. And there's also that thing of the baptism in the Holy Spirit that just changed everything. He's given you a new nature. If anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. The old is gone. It says, behold, the new is here. Behold means to look, the new is here. May God remove all distractions that would distract us from the new. We're looking at the old, and he's like, no, the new is right here. Look at what I am doing in your heart, in your emotions, in your mind. We serve a God who gives us a new nature. We serve a God who also, he doesn't just give us a new heart. By the way, sometimes God has given us a new heart, and I know of people who've had heart transplants, like intimate details of how it went down. I'm talking a family that has multiple, um, of multiple people who've needed literal, literal heart transplants. And so I'm well versed in, at least from a distance, on something that happens with any organ um, transplant that takes place. And a number, number of us here might be familiar with it as well. And that is sometimes the body would reject the new organ. And it's touch and go, touch and go. Until after a while, they say, we're out of the woods. The body has adjusted. When God gives us a new heart, sometimes there's a season where it's awkward and your old self is trying to reject it. Hang in there. Keep holding on, trust in Jesus. Keep coming to service. Keep going to discipleship. Keep going to youth group. Keep praying. Keep confessing. Keep standing. Because after a while, I'm telling you, the new you is going to become the real you. You're understanding your identity in Christ. This is who you are. He's given us a new nature. He also gives us personal knowledge and experience. We all know Joe, right? You guys know Joe. I heard somebody say, yep. 
you guys know Joseph Biden, Joe Biden. We know him. We know him in the same way that the people of Israel knew God. Because he's our president. And Jehovah was their God compared to other nations. But they didn't know him like Moses knew him. And we don't know Joe Biden like the vice president or his wife certainly knows him. See, they knew God from a distance. He's like, no, but I'm bringing you to a time where you can know me intimately. And can I tell you that we serve a God who is alive? We serve a God that after you read the scriptures, he walks with you. He talks with you. He's giving you reminders and revelation when you're out there working out. And God's like, oh, snap, man, I'm telling you, this walk with God is a true knowledge that is intimate. But some of us were still hanging in the outer courts. When he says the holy place is there. No, the holy of holies is there for you to enter into. He has made himself known. And he's made himself known to you and I. Finally, our sins have been forgiven and forgotten. Now, none of us likes it when somebody brings up our dirt. <laughs> the mistakes that we've made, right? The things from our past that we're still trying to forget about. And sometimes, to be honest, we don't need other people to bring it up because we got those thoughts that are playing over and over in our head. And we have to do what David said, like my soul, you need to glorify the Lord. We need to tell our soul, our spirit, our, I'm sorry, our mind, our will, and our emotions to get in check. I'm not believing those thoughts anymore. God has forgiven me. I've, it's under the blood. There is no condemnation in Christ. He's not just forgiven us. It says that he forgets our sins as far as the east is from the west. Not as far as the north is from the south, because if I go north, I'm going to go and hit up Wisconsin, and then before you know it, I'm going to be at the North Pole. After I hit the North Pole, if I keep going, eventually, just to, come on, work with me now, there's this globe, right? See, God understood before humans understood that the earth wasn't flat. <laughs> and what he was saying is, if you go north after a while, you're going to be going south. If you go south after a while, you're going to be going north. But if I go west, I'm going to hit California up. Eventually, I'm going to go to Japan. I'm, I can go all the way around and come back to Chicago, but I'm still going west. That's good. And if I go east, I'll go to New York, but eventually come back around to Chicago. I'm still going east. See, east never turns to west. Yeah. West never turns to east. So when he says, I'm forgetting your sins as far as the east is from the west, he's like, I am infinitely forgetting every single thing. And some of us, we got better memories than God. God's like, I forgot about that. Hey, this morning, we're going to thank God for the new nature. We're going to thank God that we know him. We're going to thank God that we've been forgiven. And now, so when you know you've been forgiven, you've been set free and you can set others free. You can forgive others. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I still be remembering what happened. <laughs> and God's like, no, throw those receipts away. Christians, we don't keep receipts. We don't keep receipts, amen? But the Lord wants us to walk in this new covenant. We're new covenant believers. The team is going to lead us in worship. Before they do, can we bow our heads? And I want to know, is there anybody here, you're like, I want to, maybe for the first time or the 15th time, I want to accept Jesus' gift of this new covenant that he's called me into. I want to know God 
on a personal level. If that is you, just put your hand up. And I want to pray with you. God bless you. Any others? I'm looking around. Praise the Lord. I see hands. I see hands. I see hands. God bless you. God bless you. Glory to God. We're all going to pray this prayer. You can put your hand down now. God bless you. And this prayer, by faith, is going to allow us to tap into what God has already made available for us. Would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I thank you for coming and dying the death that I deserved and paying the price that I could never pay. I put my faith in you, your shed blood on the cross, and I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I thank you for forgiving me for every way that I have fallen short of your mark of perfection. I now receive by your grace a new nature, knowledge of you, and forgiveness of my sins. In Jesus' name. Can we put our hands together and can we praise the Lord? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.